This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tonight, what Fraser Health is now saying about a growing outbreak at a Surrey homeless shelter. Plus... We're just all hoping for the best and that she comes home safely. A candlelight vigil held online for a Port Moody woman missing for nearly a week and... would rather see the sun, but <laughs> I guess this is what we get. Not everyone got snow overnight, but there's more in the forecast. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. One of the biggest concerns about the pandemic is that COVID-19 could easily spread among some of our society's most vulnerable, people who don't have a home to isolate in. Well, now Fraser Health says 24 homeless people are at the center of an outbreak at a shelter in Surrey. Grace Key has our top story. Well, the Surrey Emergency Response Centre is still operating with shelter clients, but not taking any new people in. Fraser Health is screening all staff and shelter clients for COVID. Anyone staying here who tested positive or was a close contact is now self-isolating at other locations. In addition to the 24 clients, two staff members tested positive, but staffing levels remain consistent here. This centre is set up at the decommissioned North Surrey Recreation Centre, and it's separate amongst two ice rinks. Fraser Health continues to work with the site on infection control measures. In Surrey, Grace Key, Global News. At least 53 cases of COVID-19 are now linked to three outbreaks at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. The first outbreak was declared January 10th in the cardiac unit, which includes the cardiac care ICU. Two more outbreaks followed in a renal unit and a medicine unit. 24 patients have tested positive for COVID, 16 in cardiac care, four in each of the other two units. 29 staff are involved. The infected units are three separate floors, uh, of three separate floors, are closed to new patients and transfers. Patients destined for the cardiac ICU are being diverted to other intensive care rooms at St. Paul's. So we're doing everything we can to adapt and create the space we can, while also working with our regional partners to, you know, offload where possible um, to maintain that critical volume of space we need for the sickest and most needy patients. The hospital has not determined how the virus first spread, but doctors say it is often carried by asymptomatic patients who come in for other treatments. St. Paul's emergency department remains open. A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at Nanaimo Regional Hospital. Island Health says two staff members and one patient have tested positive since January 19th. The outbreak is limited to the fourth floor's east wing, which until further notice is not admitting new patients. The hospital and its emergency room remain open. In November, Island Health declared an outbreak at Nanaimo Hospital when five staff members tested positive. The BC Dental Association has written an open letter calling on Premier John Horgan to include dentists in phase two of the vaccination plan. Dentists join teachers among the groups disappointed when they 
when they wouldn't be given priority to receive a vaccine in BC. On Friday, the province announced the immunizations will be prioritized based on age, with the oldest residents first in line because they're most likely to die. The association says dental care is an essential service. Dentists and dental workers are uh, community healthcare workers. We see people with acute and chronic diseases and manage those uh, every day. Um, it's an important service that uh, is often, it's timely. We should, often shouldn't be delaying treatment. Um, we can't physically distance. We can't do this stuff remotely, uh, uh, properly from a remote location. And um, we, we're close to and in indoor settings with them. So there's a heightened exposure risk. The province is set to release a report tomorrow assessing its COVID-19 response in BC's long-term care homes. The health minister commissioned the report by Ernst & Young to learn lessons from the first wave of the pandemic. Health Minister Adrian Dix tells the Canadian press more than 40 groups representing care homes were consulted last summer and fall. The country's first case happened a year ago at a long-term care home in North Vancouver. Dick says more than 650 residents at facilities across B.C. have died since then. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us with a look ahead to next week. Keith, what are you anticipating in the coming week for B.C.'s pandemic numbers? Well, it's been uh, clear for some time. If you look, if you want to get a sense of what's coming in the coming week, take a look what's happened the last one or two weeks. It's never really good to look at one or two days. When you look at seven-day, 14-day averages on a number of key indicators, you get a sense of where BC's headed, where the trends are. So take a look at the trends uh, over the last 14 days, two-week period. Uh, and most of them are positive. Our case, daily cases are now down 90 on a daily basis from two weeks ago. Our hospitalizations are down more than 50. Our positivity rate keeps dropping to four, uh, current 5.9 percent uh, from a high of 7.3 percent in mid-January. Uh, interior, this is a cause for concern. The interior and northern COVID-19 cases continue to climb. Colleen, we've talked about this in the past. There are some now some long-term care home outbreaks in the interior and the north. It's always a cause for concern. Of course, this is where many deaths are associated with long-term care outbreaks. So in terms of tomorrow and the coming days, you start doing the math. We're averaging about 477 uh, cases a day. We get three days worth of reporting tomorrow that suggests we hopefully are less than 1400 in total which means we continue to flatten the curve a bit unfortunately though we have been seeing a large number of tragic deaths 10 average a day and hopefully we don't see that average play out over the past weekend but again we'll have those numbers out tomorrow exactly you'll see you on bc1 tomorrow at three yep. o'clock thanks keith right. the president of the pne is pushing for urgent financial aid to keep the institution afloat last week vancouver council backed a motion to call on the premier and the prime minister to provide the Pacific National Exhibition with a federal wage subsidy. The PNE normally employs more than 4,000 people in the Lower Mainland, but 93% of its union workers and more than half of management are currently laid off. The PNE says it's the only fair in Canada not to qualify for federal help. It says the reason is due to its unique structure as a nonprofit owned by the city. I know that BC can sometimes be hard to see from Ottawa. But it is incredibly infuriating to watch all of our industry colleagues across the nation, the other fairs, the CNE, the Calgary Stampede, Edmonton Klondike Days, receiving the wage subsidy, and the PE is not. 
A virtual vigil was held late this afternoon for a missing Port Moody woman. Despite a major search effort, Trina Hunt hasn't been seen for nearly a week. And tonight, one of Trina's friends is speaking out as they try to remain hopeful she'll be found soon. Paul Johnson has the latest. In normal times, this would be an emotional, in-person gathering where loved ones and community could comfort one another. But this year, an online vigil was the way they had to show their love and hope for Trina Hunt. You really don't realize until it's somebody you know how it really makes an impact. Lauren Johnston used to work with the 48-year-old Port Moody woman whose disappearance Monday has stunned and baffled this quiet suburb. And she's a wonderful woman, just really down to earth, um, really personable. Just she's a diamond in the rough is the way I see her and, and I'm just shocked as to what's what's happened. Hunt was last seen by her husband at home when he left for work Monday morning. He returned that evening to find her missing and called police. She reportedly disappeared without her cell phone and keys and may be wearing a black North Face jacket and purple and pink Cloud Flyer runners. In the days following, police and volunteers combed the streets and forested paths in the area before the family called off that component of the search Thursday. In a statement Friday, Port Moody police said they don't suspect she's been a victim of foul play. But with no publicly known evidence or theory of her disappearance, there's little to comfort her loved ones. They're all in shock. I mean, when I heard about it, I was just as much in shock. And, and everybody's just hoping that she's going to come home. The collective hope for a good outcome appears to be the only certain thing at this point in the disappearance of Trina Hunt. We've got to keep the search alive. We've got to keep looking. Paul Johnson, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for the public's help to find a missing man who may suffer from dementia. 58-year-old Edward Cheney was last seen leaving his home near East Hastings in Maine on Thursday morning. Police believe he may be on foot and say his disappearance is out of character. Anyone who sees Cheney is asked to call 911 and stay with him until help arrives. Lower mainland drivers were likely relieved there was only a light dusting of snow for most of the region today, but the kids sure would have liked more. Road maintenance crews were raring to go this morning, busy loading up trucks with salt to disperse across Metro Vancouver. And the expected snow fell as rain or mixed rain and snow in most parts of the region. But road crews say snowfall in the forecast is a good reminder for drivers to always be prepared for extreme weather. Uh, we ask the traveling public to plan your route, check Drive BC and be prepared. Have your snow tires on and use the utmost of caution, especially when you're coming across our winter equipment like our brine trucks and snow plows. Overnight, a light dusting was captured by one of our tower cameras, but not enough to cause any disruptions this morning. And SFU's campus saw some heavier accumulations early this morning. Snow covering sidewalks and benches. And in Langley, a stretch of road between 24th Avenue and 224th Street had a slight coating. And in Coquitlam, snow started to accumulate in the Westwood Plateau area. Well, we're just a little bit higher up. If it's raining below, we usually get the snow. You getting a little tired of the rain, though? Nice to see a bit of snow, actually. Uh, yeah, I'd be rather see the sun, but <laughs> I guess this is what we get.
The most snow fell on the east side of Vancouver Island with Campbell River getting up to get the most accumulations that is with up to 10 centimeters of snow. Many in the community helped out their neighbors clearing the way for uh, people's sidewalks and driveways making it. Yeah, it's awesome weather. Uh, it doesn't uh, we shovel it once a year and uh, nice and slushy, you know, wet. So, I mean, this is just, this is just perfect. It's not cold or anything, and uh, very paradise. Perfect conditions to do a little tobogganing and a little sledding. Oh, haven't done that in a long time. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here. Glad some folks got some <laughs> snow, and I won't lie, I'm glad many areas didn't. <laughs> I'm with you as well. Uh, well. The winner, as we could see, we showed that was Campbell River with up to 10 centimeters of snowfall. It was really along the eastern edge of the island and the central regions. We are going to see uh, still some snowfall that is going to fall. We've got a snowfall warning. I'll show you those areas in just a moment. But it was great news. The local mountains, we saw upwards of 15 centimeters. We'll continue to see accumulating snowfall overnight tonight. So we do have a snowfall warning across the south coast. I'll show you which areas, how much we can anticipate, and what we're looking ahead towards for our work week and back to school tomorrow. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Another reminder of why you need to check that your smoke alarm is working. A properly functioning alarm is being credited for saving a family of five in Guilford this morning. 20 firefighters were called to 152nd Street in Guilford Drive at around 8.30 when a fire broke out inside a garage. A woman was on the third floor when the smoke detector started blaring. She managed to get to her three kids on the second floor and get them out of the house. Another person made it out safely after a brief search to make sure no one else was left inside. Still, paramedics treated two people for smoke inhalation. The fire was knocked down quickly. The cause has not yet been determined. Someone in Aldergrove has hit the jackpot. The BC Lottery Corporation says someone who bought a Lotto 649 ticket is $4.2 million richer after matching all six numbers from across Canada. The $8 million prize will be split with someone who purchased a ticket in Quebec as well. Another lucky person in North Vancouver has won the $1 million guaranteed prize. In Tacoma, Washington, at least one person was injured when a police vehicle drove through a crowd of people who had gathered illegally to watch a downtown street race last night. And a warning, some of you may find some of the images in this story upsetting. A shocking incident with dozens of witnesses. A police vehicle appears to drive through a crowd surrounding the car. I kind of figured he was going to stop, and then he just kept going, saw his back tires go over him. And... and you can see the person under the car actually turn. The incident happened in downtown Tacoma last night. No, 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 this isn't okay. This isn't okay. He's hurt. It's unclear how this many people okay. were hit. Tacoma police say one person was taken to an area hospital. Their condition is unknown. Videos posted to social media show a group gathered for street racing. Police have not released the identity of the driver. We don't know what was going on with that officer. We do know uh, we've been told that there was uh, people pounding on the cars. Obviously, whatever his thought pattern is becomes part of the investigation and the decisions that he made. In a statement, the Tacoma Police Department said that the officer feared for his safety, writing, while trying to extricate himself from an unsafe position, the officer drove forward striking an individual and may have impacted others. 
The Tacoma Police Department is no longer involved in the investigation. The use of deadly force triggering an outside investigation. Sarah Harmon, NBC News. Dozens of people gathered in front of the Vancouver Art Gallery this afternoon to show their support for farmers in India. Protests have sprung up in our province and around the world over India's new agricultural reform laws, which farmers say benefit large corporations and hurt farmers. Organizers say their message today extends beyond the plight of Indian farmers, calling for an end to all oppression. These systems of oppression were built to keep us down. The government and the corporations work together while we the people remain divided. We need to make sure that we remember our power. We are all powerful when we stand together. One by one, 11 miners were rescued today in eastern China. I think we have video of that. They had been trapped for two weeks after an explosion at the gold mine in the province of Shandong. Rescue crews had been communicating with the miners and lowered food and medicine to them through lifeline holes drilled through the rock. But the ordeal isn't over yet. The condition of 10 others trapped in another part of the mine is still unknown, and sadly, one person injured in the initial blast was confirmed dead. This week, Canada will receive no new doses of Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. The Prime Minister says he's received assurances from Pfizer we will get more when production gets going again. There's word two other vaccines could be approved in the near future, but will it make up for this delay? Abigail Beeman has more. I spoke with the global CEO of Pfizer, Dr. Bourla. A conversation that didn't change the fact Canada will get zero doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine this week. The next few weeks will be challenging when it comes to deliveries. According to the federal government, as of last Thursday, more than 1.1 million vaccines were distributed to the provinces and territories. And according to the Global News Vaccine Tracker, by Sunday, a little more than 800,000 of those were administered. On the world stage, Canada continues to drop in terms of vaccine rollout, now ranking in 18th place, right behind Italy and Romania. Extra beds is a, um, like a Band-Aid. What we really need is a vaccine. We are in an international competition for a very scarce resource. On the West Block with Mercedes Stevenson, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs said the government is trying to get Moderna doses earlier. Whether they can bring forward some doses that may be coming in April, could we get them in March? Some of the ones that were coming in March, could we get them in February? So those conversations are ongoing, literally on a daily basis. Dominic LeBlanc also hinted at a timeline to approve the next two vaccines. We're very hopeful that in the coming weeks, other vaccines may be approved by Health Canada as safe for use. AstraZeneca, perhaps Johnson & Johnson thereafter. Coming weeks for the two vaccines under rolling review by Health Canada. Both are more traditional vaccines than the new mRNA technology used for Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna, meaning the world could produce more fast. They can use uh, industrial processes that we already have a pretty good handle on. Uh, they're the type of things that can be made in large batches and for lower cost than something like an mRNA vaccine. Canada's top doctor is asking all Canadians who are vaccinated to keep following guidelines, including mask use and physical distancing, in part because Dr. Theresa Tam says while the vaccine will stop you from having COVID-19 symptoms and getting sick, 
We still don't have enough evidence as to whether it stops you from transmitting the virus to someone else. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. A family that came to Canada as Syrian refugees is mourning the death of their 19-year-old son, Yassine Debeh, after he contacted, contracted COVID-19. He worked as a cleaner at a long-term care home where several residents have succumbed to the illness. Global News has learned that he arrived in Canada with his family in 2016. The Islamic community in the London area has rallied to support Debe's grieving family, covering the costs of the funeral. An investigation into the young man's death is underway. Of the 19,000 people that we've had die uh, due to COVID, uh, only three of them are, less, are 19 years and under. So this is three, three deaths out of 19,000. So it's extremely rare. Tense situations in Outremont, Quebec this weekend. Police were called to break up two separate gatherings at religious locations Saturday following a clash between officers and members of the Orthodox Jewish community Friday night. Dan Spector has more. This was the scene at a synagogue in Outremont on Friday night as dozens of worshippers on hand for Sabbath prayers poured out after a visit from police. They noticed some infractions that were committed in regard of the Quebec government health emergency order. Police say a 911 call came in around 5 p.m. as Sabbath prayers were underway. According to police, there were more people inside than the 10 now allowed for a religious gathering. At one point, worshippers rushed right through the officers at the door. Unfortunately, the majority of the offenders decided to leave while charging toward the police officers. So there were four police officers assaulted. They were not injured. Police reported the situation to the Crown Prosecutor's Office. Tickets and assault charges could be on the way, but the tension did not end there. Everybody has to leave right now or else you'll get a ticket. Police intervened at the same synagogue on Saturday, again finding more than 10 people inside. Their presence drew a big crowd, which police then tried to disperse, sparking rage. Jewish lives matter! Global News spoke to multiple members of the Hasidic community who did not want to speak on camera Saturday, saying that would break the rules of the Jewish Sabbath. One man named Jacob Zabner said on Friday night he counted upwards of 20 police cars here and wondered why it took dozens of police officers to break up a prayer session. The man who said he usually prays at this synagogue said he feels the Hasidic community is being unfairly targeted. There are some neighbors who are um, xenophobic and who do look for it. I've seen people walking and trying to find them and, you know, to call the police. So I think the, the Hasidic community is wrongly targeted frequently. Police say they also broke up a religious gathering near St. Viator and Hutchison Saturday. Officers saying tens of people were there, one arrested for obstructing police. For the most part, everybody's doing a really good job, um, and there will be isolated incidents like this in all communities. On Facebook, the mayor of Outremont said, I find it deplorable that almost a year into the pandemic, there are still small groups of people who don't understand that going against the health measures can have a major impact and ask people to follow the rules. Dan Spector, Global News, Outremont. In London, the Metropolitan Police raided another illegal mass gathering early this morning, issuing more than $20,000 in fines. The unlicensed event in the East End was the latest in a series of illegal gatherings in the city amid the country's strict lockdown right now. A total of 78 people were fined for breaching COVID regulations, but there were said to be many more in the crowd. The UK is several weeks into a lockdown to try to slow the spread of the virus, including the faster-spreading UK variant. 
Pubs, restaurants, gyms, entertainment venues and many shops are closed and people are required to stay at home when possible. Now, the first weekend of a COVID-19 curfew in the Netherlands ended in violence and chaos. Police say riding young people broke into a COVID testing facility in a fishing village 80 kilometers northeast of Amsterdam and set it on fire. Police and the municipality issued a statement expressing anger at the rioters, claiming fireworks and stones were thrown and police cars were destroyed. Looting and vandalism is also being reported during anti-curfew protests across the country today. A British museum, which doubled as the set for the, HT, the hit TV series Peaky Blinders, will reopen its doors Monday as a vaccination center. Medical staff at the vaccine center at Dudley's Black Country Living Museum, which shows visitors what life was like in the early 20th century, aims to administer up to 1,000 shots a day. Well, we didn't get much, but London, England is enjoying a rare dusting of snow. This is the scene outside Buckingham Palace today. London didn't get a lot of the white stuff, but enough to change the look of the city and enough to make snowmen, including one appropriately wearing a face mask. Local parks in West London echoed with the sound of children rushing out to enjoy the white landscape, a respite from the strict lockdown Londoners have been under for the last few weeks. What's that, Nikki? So cute. It's a new wow. experience for some of the inhabitants of the London Zoo, including Nikki the pygmy hippo, originally from Africa. Western lowland gorillas, originally from Central Africa, seemed unfazed by the snowflakes setting on their fur as they went about their business finding food. On this side of the pond, the video post of a New Brunswick boy now made famous by the NHL. We'll have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, so there's there's more snow in the forecast, you're telling me. Yeah, a few spots, uh, still a snowfall warning across the south coast. So I'm going to show you those areas and some of the amounts. But first off, another great shot that was captured in Campbell River. So upwards of 10 centimeters. That was the winner and the bullseye where we saw a significant amount of snow for today. Our Mark Madriga this morning capturing this shot out in South Surrey. So it really depended where you are. And we are going to see the freezing level this evening and leading in towards the morning hours. Anywhere between 200 and just above 300. Meters Westwood Plateau, Burnaby Mountain, those are the usual spots uh, that we do see some of that snow and sticking to a few areas. Right now, out of the airport, we're sitting at three. We're catching or tracking some rainfall. We've got a light easterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. But here's a quick glance at the temperature. So, areas along the southern tip of Vancouver Island, five and six degrees. Precipitation will be falling as rain. It's higher elevations and inland away from the water that we do have that potential to see that snow picking up once again overnight and in towards the morning hours. Right now, we're just hovering the freezing mark just above for areas near Abbotsford, and it is falling as rain. Here's what we're seeing, though. This low that brought in the moisture this morning will continue to be stalled over the south coast, so a bit more precipitation will move in or continue, especially this evening and leading in towards the morning hours. But we can see a snapshot on the future cast. The areas in green, that's where we're tracking the rain, but it's higher elevations that we'll be seeing accumulating snowfall along the island, eastern areas, and that'll extend all the way in towards the sunshine 
Sunshine Coast. Now the snowfall warning for the following areas are for higher elevations and we are looking at the potential between 5 and even up to 10 centimeters. So that's really overnight leading in towards the morning hours and we'll see that especially for Westwood Plateau. Burnaby Mountain will be included within that where I think we could see up to 5 centimeters and then we've actually got a nice break on the way in the long range but still remaining chilly. First off if you're traveling along the mountain passes the Malahat will be as rain and then changing over to snow up to 10 centimeters is possible. The sea to sky in that range between 4 and 8 areas near the Allison Pass with lesser amounts between 2 and up to 4 centimeters. An ice break across the northern half of the province for Monday. Areas into the central interior will still see a chance for some flurries in the early morning hours. Much of the southern interior will also see it tapering off with the chance of flurries if you're traveling along the mountain passes still 2 and up to 4 centimeters for the most for most areas and along the south coast. So we are going to see that for higher elevations accumulating snowfall most areas for Metro Vancouver rain. We could see a bit of wet snow in the mix and then a nice break in between systems with some sunshine. But a heads up you'll want to bundle up into next week. It is going to be chilly in the forecast. Colleen. No kidding. All right. Thanks Yvonne. Must be cold in New Brunswick too because a boy there caught the attention of the NHL for his hard work on the ice and it had nothing to do with his stick handling. This is Nicholas Alain cleaning up his backyard rink with the help of a battery operated John Deere tractor made for kids that his dad modified into a mini Zamboni. The machine was rigged with studded tires, a bucket, hose and a cloth sheet to groom the ice. His dad originally shared the video to a Facebook page, but it really took off after it was shared by the NHL's official account on Instagram just a couple of days ago. That is Ben. Fantastic. Yeah, there's there's something I speak on behalf of all all people who love hockey or or are from Canada. There's something magical about a Zamboni. We're not quite sure how it works, but it's awesome. It's magical. <laughs> it is. It's fun to watch, and it's of so course great. we love what it does to the ice. But that's pretty so cute. So cute. Love it. Barry, what do you have coming up? Well, we know pretty much he's going to play for the Super Bowl in a couple weeks' time. Tom Brady is going there for the tenth time, which is ridiculous. I mean, you go once or twice in your career you got to consider yourself fortunate. Right. So 10 times for him. We'll have highlights of the oh championship games and hear from the Canucks who are trying to shake out of their early slump. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Bear. They are infinitely kind and they never judge. One of the reasons many B.C. long-term care homes have used pet therapy to provide companionship for residents. Of course, that had to stop when the pandemic hit, leaving seniors even more socially isolated. But as Kristen Robinson reports, two very special volunteers are giving those living at one Vancouver care home a window into a dog's world. You love tummy rubs. There's almost nothing that Nugget doesn't love. <laughs> Oh, now you're hamming it up, eh? So when Stuart Ma rescued his 100-pound Rottweiler Shepherd Lab Cross from northern B.C. seven years ago, he knew he couldn't keep this gentle giant to himself. I, I wanted to share him with as many people as possible. Nugget received pet therapy training, and since 2017, he and Ma have been volunteering at Mount St. Joseph Hospital's residence. He definitely demonstrates that he, he, he gives unconditional love and uh, a lot of the, the residents feel that. The pair's weekly visits were halted by COVID restrictions last spring and with the facility in the grips of an outbreak. Stay there, okay? The volunteers haven't been inside in months. 
enter a virtual window of opportunity. Ma and Nugget now connecting via FaceTime, their fans on the other side equipped with iPads. I'm watching the residents touch the screen, you know, and, and as if they're touching Nugget. And uh, again, it just it really warms my heart to see that. You can see the residents smile. Sometimes you hear laughter. It's, uh, it's just so heartwarming. Nugget recently checked in from the dog park, his friends eagerly awaiting every move. They're, they're, they just know that it's, it's, it's Stuart Nugget's day. Our elders have lost so much, and this just helps to really fill that gap. It's something that's just beautiful. It's truly beautiful to see. While enjoying the remote applause, Nugget will turn 10 in July, and he and his human are hoping they'll be able to see their friends in person again. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It must be tough to be Tom Brady. Yeah, let's see. He got uh, all those Super Bowl rings, make millions of dollars, got the perfect family. I'm sure he's got problems. I'm just, I'm, everyone I just can't, does. I just can't think of any. <laughs> Thanks, Colleen. Well, you couldn't get a uh, glitzier marquee quarterback matchup for today's NFC Championship game than Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers will likely win the MVP after a 48-touchdown pass season. Brady who played in his record 14th conference championship game today, entered the game with 77 career playoff touchdown passes, more than 30 more than the next one on the list, and that's Joe Montana. It was a mild day at Lambeau for Rodgers, whose team is 8-1 at home this year. Brady and the Bucks, seven straight road wins. Something had to give today. First possession, Brady's got a touchdown pass to Mike Evans, a 15-yarder. Perfect touch by the veteran, dropping it over top of the DB to Evans for the major 7-0 Buccaneers. Second quarter, Packers tie it. Rodgers going to go deep, slightly underthrown, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling makes the adjustment. 50-yard touchdown. It's tied 7-7. Tampa, though, gets it right back, and it's a brilliant solo effort from the running back Leonard Fournette, the former Jacksonville Jaguar. You think he's happy to be in Tampa and not Jacksonville? Spin move. What a run. 14-7 bucks. Late in the half, after a Rodgers interception, Brady going for it. Just six seconds to, to go on the clock. They were in field goal range, but Brady... The gamble pays off, hits Scotty Miller for the dramatic 39-yard touchdown, 21-10 Tampa at the half. Then early third after a Packers fumble deep in their own territory, Brady to Cameron Brait, and the Bucks with an 18-point lead, 28-10. But the Pack come back. They get two touchdowns before the end of the quarter, including this quick hitter from Rodgers to his favorite target, Devontae Adams, 28-23 after three. Fourth quarter, Couple minutes left, packed down eight, third and goal. Rogers pass to the end zone is incomplete. But instead of going for it, they decide to kick the field goal to get within five. An odd decision. Head coach Matt LaFleur said that was a bad decision after the game. They needed the defense to hold Brady to get the ball back. Third down, Brady's pass incomplete, but the flag down for pass interference. It's a good call. Bucks run out the clock, and Tom Brady's going to his 10th career Super Bowl. Tampa becomes the first team to ever play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. AFC Championship, two of the best young QBs in the game, Josh Allen of the Bills, Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs, who did pass concussion protocols after being forced out of last week's game. First quarter, first key play of the game is a turnover. McCole Hardman fumbles on the punt return. Bills 
recover at the Chiefs three yard line and they turn that into instant points. Very next play Josh Allen to Dawson Knox for the touchdown. They missed the extra point but the Bills jump out quickly nine nothing but Casey which uh, overcame double digit deficits in all their playoff games last year on the way to the Super Bowl came right back and they go to McCall Hardman the guy who fumbled he's got a touchdown that'll help his confidence it's 9-7 later in the quarter Hardman again takes the handoff and this time he races 51 yards more than making up for that earlier gaff that led to another Chiefs touchdown KC led 21-12 at the half third quarter Chiefs with another big play and it's Mahomes to Tyreek Hill. Looks like he's going to get tackled a couple of times here, but he is so fast and elusive. Looks like he might score. Not quite down to the three. It's a 71-yard gain, and that will lead to this cheeky little Mahomes underhand pass to uh, Travis Kelsey for the touchdown. It's 38-21 very late in the fourth, so it looks like it'll be Casey and Tampa Bay in Super Bowl 55 in two weeks. The Canucks' relentless schedule continues with three games in the next four days against Ottawa beginning tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. The Canucks have stumbled out of the gate at 2-5. and five. They're not doing a lot of things well right now, but the surprising, uh, surprising thing has been the quiet start for both Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Their offensive production is down, and they're struggling defensively as well. This is something that, um, you know, they haven't gone through, and, and not just from a team standpoint, but from an individual standpoint and um, when you go through adversity and, and you get get through it uh, you're going to be better off for it uh, there's not many players in the history of the game that don't have some type of adversity that they go through um, even if they're they're great players it's just you know mentally staying in it um, you know it's, it's such a mental grind sometimes when you're when you're not putting the puck in the net or things aren't going your way I think it's just having confidence in your abilities and, and just sticking with the process. NHL today, Leafs and Flames from Toronto before the game, a moment of silence to pay tribute to the former Leaf captain George Armstrong, who passed away at age 90 today. Armstrong captained the Leafs to four Stanley Cups in the 60s, including their last one in 1967. Late second tied at one, Leafs on the power play. It's Wayne Simmons, signed as a free agent for toughness and some net front presence, his first as a Maple Leaf. 2-1 Toronto, and then early third, Leafs get a lucky bounce. The centering pass goes off Austin Matthews, off a flame defenseman, then past Jacob Markstrom. It's Matthews' goal. It was the game winner. Leafs take it 3-2. They improved to 5-2, tied for first with Montreal in the North Division. NBA today, Raptors and Pacers from Indianapolis. Raps playing much better after that 2-8 start. They've won four of their last five. Norn Powell starting to find his game. How about that shot? It goes plus the foul. He had 20. Raptors 58-47 at the half. Third quarter, OG Ananobi with the power move here against DeMantis Sabonis. No Siakam or Lowry today for the Raps. Ananobi had to produce, and he did. As did Montreal's Chris Boucher. Another strong game off the bench. Hits the three ball here. He had 12 points, seven rebounds, and two blocks. Under two to go. Raps by one. Great ball movement. Ananobi knocks down the three. He led the way with 30 points, but it was the Toronto defense that was key. Boucher and Stanley Johnson with blocks on Sabonis. 
bonus in the final moments as the Raptors win again 107-102. They improve to 7-9. FA Cup fourth round, two Premier League Giants, Manchester United hosting Liverpool at Old Trafford. Mo Salah had two for Liverpool, including this beauty, gave Liverpool the early lead. But it was tied early second half when United go in front. Marcus Rashford coolly finds the corner, 2-1 United. Salah tied it, but then in the 78th off the free kick, Bruno Fernandez drilling at far corner. It's a ripper. United moving on to the final 16 of the FA Cup. Liverpool with just one win in its last seven matches. Final round of the American Express from Palm Springs. Patrick Cantley had himself a Sunday. 18th hole, this is from 38 feet. And he rolls it in to complete a round of 11 under 61. Has the lead at 22 under par. But Siwoo Kim playing in the final group, birdied 16 to tie it. And then on 17, that is a pure stroke. In the heart, Siwoo Kim gets his third career victory. Adam Hadwin, top Canadian, tied 32nd at 10 under. Roger Sloan was 40th. Nick Taylor, 47th. The LPGA Tournament of Champions from Tampa Bay. Canada's Brooke Henderson, part of the 25-player field who've won tournaments the last three seasons. Brooke's birdie putt at, at 11, but uh, just one under today, finished ninth at 12 under. That's disappointing for her. It went to a playoff. Jessica Korda reeled in third-round leader Daniel Kang, and then on the first playoff hole, rolled in a 35-footer for the victory. Korda finished at a whopping 24 under par. It's Korda's sixth career LPGA title. And World Cup ski cross from Sweden. Cultus Lakes, Reese Howden winning gold yesterday. Breakout season for Howden, who's now racing full-time after finishing his college studies. This was such a tight race, but Howden wins it at the wire. Back-to-back -back gold for Howden. Very impressive. And Whistler's Mariel Thompson also on the podium in the women's race. Finished in third place. That's the fifth podium of the year. Hey, we all remember the bucket challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> many of us did it too. Okay, well, there's a new one, uh, an unconventional new fundraiser called the Snow Angel Challenge. This is how we do a snow challenge in Alberta, Canada. Ah, oh my God. Ah, ah. Yeah, that's brave. It asks people to hop in the snow or sand or mud and make angels to raise money for diabetes research. But specifically, the groundbreaking cure one doctor is working on at the University of Alberta. He actually has a cure for type 1 and type 2 diabetes in his lab. And uh, our, our grassroots campaign is, uh, our, our goal is to raise $22 million. And our belief is if... A million Canadians or people around the world gave $22. That's the money Dr. Shapiro has told us he needs to get that cure into humans. I hope just get a lot more people, yeah, a lot more people aware and more people involved. And yeah, heading to 2022 is a grassroots campaign. So it's really important that Edmontonians know what we're capable of and what we could really show the world we can do. And the rest of us, too. The challenge has already raised more than $600,000. If you would like to make a donation, you can go to the website that is uh, on our website and make a donation. You don't have to jump in the snow. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Might have to just do a, a grass angel. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Get in a puddle. <laughs> or in a, or lots puddle. of puddles. We can do that. <laughs> that's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes. Have a good night.